0: I've told you before how enamored I am of life hacks. I never really use them because I forget them right away, but I love to read about them, these little things that that help you get ahead a little bit and streamline your day. And the other day I was reading a big long list of life hacks and I came upon one of dubious morality. It said, if you ever find yourself with a flat tire, take your phone, take a picture of the tire, and save it. And then, if you are ever on your way somewhere and you're late, you can just text that picture to wherever you're headed and say, oh, I got a flat tire. A caveat said, make sure you don't send that same picture twice to the same person, you know, months apart or something, or they might put two and two together. And then underneath it was a discussion, and someone said, listen, that's, that's Bush League. You got to go way beyond that. You could have gotten a picture of a flat tire off the internet or anywhere. No, 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 when you have a flat tire, take out your phone and get a selfie of yourself looking really frustrated and a little bit sad with the tire right there in the background. Then, when you get home, take those clothes, put them in a duffel bag, and keep it in your trunk. Next time you're running late, you take out the phone, you send the picture of you in those clothes with the tire, quick, put the clothes on, and then you are golden because you are 100% going to look like you just arrived from this ordeal. But then someone else said, hold on, what if your boss is suspicious? You're taking a picture with a phone, that means that this picture is tagged with the date and the time that it was taken. So you gotta remember to go into the metadata and change that to the appropriate time. And someone else said, hold on, what about the geotag that says exactly where the picture and when the picture was taken? You have to make sure that that doesn't put you somewhere that makes no sense for where you were supposedly headed. And this whole thing sounds like maybe it's more trouble than just leaving a little earlier (laughs) and being on time. Lies, as we have all discovered, and as often is a source of amusement on sitcoms and things, tend to eventually spill out. The bigger the lie, the more elaborate, the bigger the spillage. The truth, however, holds things in. That is exactly the picture that Paul uses here in Ephesians 6 when talking about the truth. Holding in, holding up, holding together. Now, this is not the first time he's bringing up truth. In Ephesians, in chapter 4, he already told us to speak the truth in love. And he told us putting away falsehood. Let each of us speak the truth to his neighbor. So the truth is vital to our witness as Christians. And also, the truth is vital to our very souls as Christians. There is a sense, even amongst those who follow Jesus, that there are certain lies, white lies, little lies. Oh, i got a flat tire that are no big deal. They don't hurt anybody. Maybe they just save me some trouble. But remember this. If Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me, if he says, I am the truth, then having a slippery relationship with the truth, a nebulous relationship contingent on what is convenient in the moment, means having a slippery, nebulous relationship with Jesus himself. Add to that John 8, in which Jesus said to the Pharisees, You are of your father the devil. Your will is to do your father's desires. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And clearly we stand in a relationship between truth and falsehood, which very much informs our relationship, not only with our friends, family, spouse, boss, co-workers... But our relationship and our loyalty between Jesus, who is the truth, and Satan, who is the father of lies. Who's your daddy is the question here. And you can see a a little glimpse of that in how an individual relates to the truth. Is it something to be massaged and changed and used in order to get my foot in the door or keep me from having to deal with the consequences of my actions Or is it something more substantial? Now, where we are here, of course, is near the end of the book of Ephesians, the the letter to the Ephesians, in which now he is telling us how to prepare for battle against the evil one so that we'll stand on the evil day. And we're doing this whole look one piece at a time at the armor of God that he has told us we must put on so that we can stand. And this is the first actual piece of armor that we're looking at. It is the belt that girds us in the King James. It is called a girdle. It's the word that's used dozens of times. Now, I was going to say, Sean, if you need to giggle, go ahead and do it just this once because I'm going to say girdle a lot, but Aaron already did. So there it is. This, This is a word I wish there was a better, more military sounding word that I could use, but there's not. Uh, so we're, we're going to say it. Now, why not belt? Well, it's because the word belt, which is zonain in Greek, does not occur in the Greek of this verse. The only noun in that little phrase, put on the belt of truth, is actually truth. In, in fact, in the King James, I think we see a far better translation, having girded up your loins with truth, or having girded up your loins with in truth, you hear that there's the verb of girding up the loins, and then there's the noun, the object of truth. But there's not a belt mentioned. In liturgical vestments, of course, the the belt, the cord tied around the middle, is called a girdle. And amongst the Greeks and Romans, before pockets had been invented, which seems like a really obvious invention they would have a girdle fastened around the middle with purses hanging down in order to hold their money and all their necessities but generally in the scriptures girding up your loins and even apart from the scriptures it's it's more involved and it means you're about to do something big something very physical and so you've got to gird your loins up in preparation so this first piece of armor or really under armor nobody sue me but yeah girds the rest of the armor close to the soldier's body, but more importantly, it hugs tight to the body itself. We might call it like spiritual spanks if that wasn't even a step further removed from the idea of war and military. Or maybe to get a little more manly, it's not unlike a weightlifting belt that even holds in someone's organs so that they don't push out when you lift something heavy and and cause a, a hernia. It's core support strengthening the core and it's an ancient idea girding the loins and it started with the most basic version of it when you read in the old testament someone girds up his loins it means he's wearing a robe a tunic gathering all that material together pulling it around the back dividing it in half and then tying it in the front so the robe almost becomes its own belt while also getting out of the way so that there can be a lot of action you can't do a lot of stuff with robes all kind of dragging around and flopping around. It would be dangerous in a lot of activities and lines of work. So girding the loins was a common phrase. Over time, the idea of being active or being prepared for action and girding your loins they become synonymous. So in Luke twelve thirty five, uh, the NIV says, stay dressed for action. And I think the ESV says just about the same thing. Stay dressed for action Literally, that's gird up your loins. It's the same word that we see here. The Passover was eaten in remembrance of that first day when they had painted the doorposts and and everything with the blood and they ate ready to go. They always eat Passover, girded loins, shoes on, ready to go, ready for action. And then this becomes a spiritual call as well. Not only here, but in 1 Peter 1, Peter says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober, sober thinking. In the ESV, that's prepare your mind for action. Probably what Peter's thinking of here is as a fisherman, when he was just kind of going out, he would have his robe nice and comfortable, his tunic and all these things, and then when it was time to start pulling in those heavy nets, he would actually gird up his loins. You've got to be ready for that action. But here, and in general, this is more associated with the idea of battle. In the Old Testament, again and again, we see this. For us, a boxer will just take off the big robe before he starts to fight. But in the ancient Near East, they would tie up their big robes. And so when you're reading in the Old Testament about someone girding up for battle, girding on his sword, that is kind of a two-part thing, both pulling the robe around and tying it tight and then strapping a sword to his thigh so that he was ready to go off. And that was, for most soldiers in, in Israel in the early days, the extent of the armor or the preparation for battle. By Paul's day, things were a lot more elaborate, even for your average soldier, because we had empires and we had all this wealth. And so it becomes a two-part thing. You've got the inner leather girdle, which would be the first thing they'd put on. Remember, this is all in the order of, Of what the soldier would put on and it would go from the ribs down to the groin and it would be not unlike what a modern day athlete would wear in a real high contact situation protective and then of course on the outside one of the last things they'd put on would be an ornamented belt which I don't know about you that's one of the first things I think of when I think Roman soldier the belt with all the stuff hanging down in the middle there but the apostle seems to be primarily describing that leather girdle that's put on first, not the belt, not only because that's the order of things and because that's the one that girds up the loins. But also remember, this is telling us that we're wearing God's armor, the Messiah's armor that's described in the book of Isaiah. We saw that last week. Well, let's look at Isaiah 11, it says that God will wear righteousness as the belt of his waist and faithfulness as the belt of his loins. Which one then are we called to put on first? And you go, well, neither one of them is truth, righteousness, or faithfulness. Well, that word faithfulness is the same Hebrew word in Psalm 51 that's translated truth when it says God desires truth in our inmost parts. It's derived from the word amen, or our word amen, which means truly, truly, and the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament that Jesus and the apostles seem to rely heavily upon, translates the word aletheia, truth, same word that we have here. So yes, the, the belt of his loins is truth slash faithfulness, and that is what is in view here. And when tightening on the war belt or girdle, the, the sense of readiness would come upon the soldier. A warrior suddenly felt ready for battle with a sense of strength and inner fortitude. And we, as believers, also have an inner strength that is absolutely missing among the rest of mankind. The concept of truth itself has been slowly dying a, a very pathetic and ironic death before our eyes for many years. It is not girded close to anyone anymore, it seems. In the early 2000s, Stephen Colbert, uh, in the course of a, a comedy act that he was doing and some some television, coined the term truthiness, which was meant to kind of describe this false truth notion uh, close enough, but we didn't really care if we hit the mark exactly, went on to become Merriam-Webster's Word of the Year in 2006. Ten years later, After a a really contentious presidential election and Brexit and all sorts of arguing and fighting and stuff and everyone accusing everyone else of being fake news, Merriam-Webster's word of the year was not fake news, but post-truth. The idea being that we now live in a post-truth world where truth simply doesn't matter or as a category doesn't apply. The very next year, on the cover of time magazine was the question is truth dead and the answer was sorta and so we have the truth that binds us that that takes our our readiness to the the next level so that we can begin to put on all of the armor of god now this issue of truth being dead it's not new it comes and goes in waves we remember when jesus stood before pilate and he said, oh, are you really the Messiah? Jesus said, what you have said is true. You speak the truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? Which is really ironic when you consider, dude, you're talking to him. Jesus said, I am the truth. If truth is, is boiled down into one thing, one person, it is Jesus himself. But Pilate did not recognize him standing right there. Pilate wasn't ready To have that conversation because he had not girded up his loins with truth. So this is again, not instructions on how to carry out the battle, but how to be ready. Notice having fastened on, you will stand. Having fastened on the belt of truth, having put the helmet of salvation on your head, having done these things beforehand. And the truth comes first, fastened on not only before the battle, but before any other piece of the armor. It holds everything else together. If the girdle or belt wasn't fastened well or it came loose in the course of battle, the breastplate would move off center and and begin to weigh him down and move around. The the sword would fall off. Everything would shift. The, The right belt really can hold everything together. Well, in this case, it literally holds everything together. And so it's placed first, given priority as a Christian thinks about being prepared for the evil day. This is why all the New Testament epistles begin not with, let me tell you how to fix the problems in your church right now, or let me tell you how to live a holy life, but with doctrine, chapters and chapters of doctrine, of truth. Before, therefore, then, this is how you ought to live. And a lot of people like to kind of speed through those early doctrinal things and say, how do I get to the practical application stuff? Because this stuff's hard. It's hard to understand. And yeah, sometimes it is. But there's a reason it's first. First, gird up your loins with the belt of truth. And then you're getting on the sword and the helmet and going into battle. But if you don't start by understanding the truth, grasping the truth and believing in it, you are going to find yourself ill-prepared for a battle. It makes me think of a missionary who arrives in a... a Unknown land with people where, where there, there's customs and things that he didn't understand. And In the mission movement, this was often the case early on. We Baptists kind of led the way with this, foreign missions, and, and we would go off somewhere knowing very little about it. And they would get there, full of zeal, ready to make converts and show the world Jesus' love and say, oh, I want to love these people and connect with them. But i got to spend a long time learning the language and learning about them and understanding them before I can even talk to them before I can even begin that work. Adoniram Judson, when he went to Burma, although he was already a brilliant linguist, knew Latin, Hebrew, and Greek, like almost no one alive today does, it still took him three years to have even a working, passable uh, ability in the Burmese language. And there's vocabulary, and there is truth that we have to study and understand so that we are ready to stand on the evil day. You say, well, pastor, I read my Bible every day. Well, that's great, but are you looking for a deeper understanding of the truth or just for tips on how you can live your life more successfully today? It matters what we are doing in our hearts as we open God's Word, not just that we open it a certain number of times. And, of course, the understanding of truth and the holding close of truth is going to spill over into the practical application and how we We comport ourselves and live our lives day by day. Spurgeon said, Nothing makes a man so virtuous as belief of the truth. A lying doctrine will soon beget a lying practice. A man cannot have an erroneous belief without by and by having an erroneous life. I believe the one thing naturally begets the other. But this belt of truth is not just about truth in general. First and foremost, it's about the capital T truth, the gospel. And you say, hold on, I've read this passage before. The gospel goes on your feet. It's the boots, the shoes, the greaves, whatever, not the belt. Well, the readiness of the gospel goes on your feet. We'll get to that. But the gospel itself is at the core of the whole armor. It's what's girding up the loins. It is is what's holding all the armor in its place. It's the first thing we don in the Christian life. Without the truth of the gospel, many have tried and all have failed to wage war against darkness. It simply does not work. When we sub in the gospel with our own theories, our own relativistic views and situational ethics, the ever-shifting and changing morals of our culture, these don't offer the core support and hold steady the armor the way that the gospel does it may look impressive from the outside like that outer belt with all of its shininess that the roman soldier would wear of the legionnaire would walk around you'd hear it as he moved around and you would say wow that's impressive but it simply does not do the trick reminds me a bit of when when calvin was obsessed with batman It was a phase and he would often dress up as batman and I think he went through maybe three different iterations of more and more realistic Batman outfits. This is when he was seven or eight years old. And he had this one utility belt. You know Batman's got a utility belt. You know that, right? It's full of all sorts of gadgets and things. Well, it looked so cool. And it had batarangs in it. It had all these. And he loved to wear it. But once he would put it on, put on the cape and cowl and the, the gauntlets and gloves and everything and go start running around punching imaginary bad guys it was so badly connected. It was like a little plastic dot and a little plastic hole that it would always pop off and he would get so angry because it looked so cool, but it didn't do the trick. And I think that is a pretty good analogy for much of the quote-unquote truth or truth for now or whatever our culture wants to put in the place of truth today it looks very impressive very eloquent very sophisticated but it cannot hold anyone or anything in place it is of no use when standing against the evil one this part of the armor binds us it binds us but unlike the chains of sin, self, and Satan that kept us in true bondage, the girdle of truth, the belt of truth, frees us. And I think you can see it just by imagining Paul's situation as he wrote this. He's in prison, so you've got Paul sitting there with a chain on and a guard standing next to him. Both of them are bound, but one of them is in bondage, a prisoner. Well, the other one is not only free, but ready for action, The girdle gives strength and freedom of action while the chains of our old state restrict action and render what strength we have moot, pointless. Somehow the world misses this distinction though, that there is the binding that holds you down and and keeps you prisoner and there is the binding that lifts you up and strengthens you and prepares you for battle that actually frees you. They say, just don't don't restrict me at all. If you restrict me, I'll see that as hateful. I love my freedom. Only Jesus said, what will set you free? The truth will set you free. The belt of truth will set you free. Not only free, but protected. So on the outside then, there was what they called in the Latin the cingulum militare. It was a leather belt which hung from the front the, the very kind of iconic Roman uh, beltea. They were called leather straps covered with these small metal discs. Uh, again, that's that's usually the the picture that I think of when I think Roman soldier. What what makes it Roman rather than Greek? There's differences in the helmet and things, but but that's the main one. And, and those things were there to cover and protect kind of the most uh, vulnerable area of the soldier, and also to mark the soldier's rank based on what kind of discs were there. And they were sort of an intimidation tactic. As they would march together and move around, you'd hear it jingling, and there was kind of a, an almost a war song. In that jingling of, of that belt, the truth for us is our belt as well. It is our banner. It is our rank. It is our war song. And donning this belt of truth, it doesn't end with just acknowledging the truth of the gospel. There's so much more to it. Remember, when we read of the Messiah wearing this belt, faithfulness is the belt of his loins. From that word, amen, meaning truly, truly. There are people who would say, yeah, oh yeah, the gospel. Yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm really excited about that. But this is truly believing it, internalizing it. This is not just intellectual assent mental assent but rather truly bringing into one's heart. Remember, I desire truth in the inmost places, the inward place in Psalm 52. Truly believing. And you say, hold on a minute. I thought believing, I thought faith was the shield. Yep. But all of it comes together here at the very beginning, in the girdle of truth. Now, there's been a lot of debate, a lot of ink spilled over what the truth here is. Is it the truth, the gospel, or is it just truth, being truthful? Is it truthfulness? As many would point out, there is no article, meaning it doesn't say the belt of the truth, but the belt of truth And so a lot of people have translated this, uh, the belt of sincerity or the girdle of integrity. And it is a good question and it's probably beyond my pay grade to settle it once and for all. So I go back to the definitive work on these things. A great work called The Christian in Complete Armor. I don't know if any of you have read it, but I highly, highly recommend it. It's long and it is dense, but it is good. And I love the insanely long subtitles, by the way, of those really old books. Sometimes they're alternate titles, sometimes they're subtitles, especially Puritans. So The Christian in Complete Armor is subtitled the saints' war against the devil, wherein a discovery is made of that grand enemy of God and his people in his policy's power, seat of his empire, wickedness, and chief design he hath against his saints, a magazine opened from whence the Christian is furnished with spiritual arms for the battle, helped on with his armor, and taught the use of his weapons together with the happy issue of the whole war. 1,500 pages on 11 verses. Well, he gets into this debate and very quickly moves beyond it. 1,500 pages, but he just says... Some by truth mean a truth of doctrine, while others have it truth of heart, that is, sincerity. They, I think, best that comprise both. One will not do without the other. I don't think you have to answer the question, is this belt of truth, the belt of doctrinal truth, and the gospel, and all of these things that make up the faith, once for all, handed down to the saints, or is it being a truthful person, being sincere in your faith? You can't have one without the other. I think the word sincerity, though, may be a little too wobbly to to translate here because the idea of being true to thine own self and to thine own self being true as well is something that natural man naturally seeks out. It doesn't require the gospel. It doesn't require the spirit. And more often than not, it becomes an excuse for sin. What the apostle is describing here is our own subjectively holding on to and holding fast to the objective truth of the Christian faith. This is not just believing the truth then, but living the truth. Meaning we reject hypocrisy. We don't find ourselves speaking the truth, but it's not true for the one speaking. This can even happen in churches. In fact, it often does, where people begin kind of posing as maybe more zealous or more righteous than they truly are. Affected emotionalism in worship, or or one kind of pumping up one's Christian testimony when giving it to make it just a little more exciting. If we really have the belt of truth in place, if the gospel is at work in us, it will make us truthful. And the enemy will scheme here first and foremost. After all, it's the first piece of the armor. It's the foundational piece of the armor. He's gonna whisper that, yes, the belt of truth is important, but does it really need to be so tight? How about we loosen it a little bit? I think it's no coincidence that this was the first scheme Satan used in the garden. Same thing happening today. Remember that the serpent came and said, Oh, but did God really say? Hmm? Did God really or or is there maybe a little wiggle room? Maybe we loosen the belt just a touch. And looking at the fruit, Eve saw that it was pleasing to the eye and good for food and desirable to make one wise. Took it, ate it, shared it with Adam, and was like, oh, okay. And there it is, the fall. In the same way, today, oh, hold on, God's word seems to be clear. Well, hold on, that looks good, doesn't it? Pleasing to the eye, probably tasty. Might make us wise, worldly wise anyway. Even so-called ministers spend much of their time urging this loosening of the belt at every turn. We see this doctrinally. Not long ago, uh, there was a a denomination that asked the, the writers of In Christ Alone, that great modern hymn, if they could include their hymn in their hymnal, but change the line. That on the cross when Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Change it, they had a few other options. The love of God was... I don't know vivified or something something lesser something weaker something floppy and they said no you can't loosen the belt of truth with our song we will not let you do it we will insist that the truth of the gospel remain intact or it could be practical as well oh no no god may have laid out his truth in his word that he will humble the proud and lift up the humble but if you're proud about something righteous and good god definitely gives you a pass Or he may have laid out in his word the truth about marriage and sexuality. And It's been pointed out by many of the old commentators as a reason that it's the loins that are girded up that's often the source of much of sin in the lives of men. Well, hey, forget it. It's a new day. There's new truth. And truth is such a, a moving target now, is it not? Or hey, God, God may have said that we need to care for the widows and orphans and those who are, who are most vulnerable and, and protect the immigrants in our midst, but come on. If, if they really applied themselves, they wouldn't need any help from me. I mean, I'm only showing them how the world works by insisting that they have to fend for themselves. Did he really say? Oh, maybe he really said, but what did he really mean? Come on, the serpent says, forbidden fruit tastes the sweetest. Loosen that belt. Anybody else ever been in the position of, I guess I need to punch a new hole in this belt with a screwdriver if I'm going to keep on using it? I have. doesn't feel good. Spiritually, though, it sometimes does, but only for a minute. Now, listen, we will wear a soft, wonderful, loose fitting breathable robe for all eternity that's the picture in the book of revelation the saints are in linen robes gathered around the lamb but for now our spiritual attire is armor and we wear it continually and that means that the truth is going to be cinched up tight at the core of who we are flannery o'connor said the truth does not change according to our ability to stomach it I think that's a reminder we need today. Oh, I don't like that. It doesn't make me feel good. Tough. The word of God is eternal. Today, the enemy is attacking truth via culture as well. A way that this is often phrased, being ready for battle, being girded up in some of the older literature is to be braced up. I like that phrase, braced up for battle have everything tightened and ready to go and maybe it doesn't feel quite as as free as i might feel if i just threw everything off and walked around in a swimsuit but in a battlefield that is not going to be much protection our worldviews any of this being braced up being girded up as antiquated backwards unsophisticated even hateful or in a strange ad hominem fearful But without it, we will not stand on the evil day. Without it, the whole panoply of our armor comes undone and falls away, leaving us exposed to enemy's attacks. Without it, we come undone. And so when Peter tells us to gird up the loins of our minds, yes, that goes against our culture today. Because the world hears that and says, oh, no, 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 the opposite Open your mind. Open it wide. And they don't mean be open to new ideas and then take those ideas and observe them and examine them and see if they're worth letting in. No, let everything in. With no discernment, with no wisdom, with no uprightness whatsoever, without any sense of capital T truth at all. Give free reign to any idea. And this has begun to come into the church. The five solas of the Reformation... Sola fide, sola gratia, sola Christus, uh, sola dea gloria, sola scriptura. They've all been replaced by one. Sola feels. Our emotions are dragging us around. And the, the result is what we're warned about two chapters earlier in Ephesians 4 do not be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness in deceitful schemes and what is the very next verse rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head the head into christ truth anchors us so that we will not be dragged around and blown around by every wind of false doctrine Speaking the truth in love, he says, truth and love are not antithetical to each other. Truth with a capital T implies there are things that are false, that are lies. Saying that is not hateful. It is not against the idea of love. They go hand in in hand. We do not want to sacrifice truth for love or love for truth. Even when the world around you, the flesh within you, the enemy working against you is continually trying to redefine both truth and love, we have to stand firm and say, we will not allow you to redefine these things. Because speaking the truth and love in that passage in Ephesians 4 is tied to our growing into maturity in Christ. Luther said, peace if possible, but the truth at any rate. That is a good summation of these things. The world acknowledges the need for truth in many areas of life if not in the spiritual realm if you go to a doctor i i I missed my yearly appointment like so many people in 2020 just because of all the headaches that i didn't want to take someone's spot and all this stuff and and so i have one scheduled now about a month from now what if i went to the doctor and he looked at me and said wow you are you are quite a physical specimen I, I think he was making fun of me, but but I could tell. You know, he's just no irony. You're you have like the heart of someone 20 years younger than you. You are like an Olympic athlete. I really wow. Keep up whatever you're doing. Just keep doing it because you are in great shape. What if then I walked out the front door and fell over from a heart attack, and they told me, "Good grief, your your arteries were clogged up. You were like a French fry away from from dying." And I went back to my doctor said, so why would you lie to me? Why would you tell me? So I didn't want to make you feel bad. That's where our culture stands. There's truth and there's lies. And rather than saying we will hold fast to the truth, we say, well, what is going to hurt your feelings? i got to be careful. There are lies that aren't that damaging. The light will reveal the truth. In fact, light and truth are essentially the same thing in scriptural parlance. In Luke, in Luke 12, 35, Jesus says, Stay dressed for action. That's the word, keep your loins girded up. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Keep that light going. You see, the lamps burning, the light, that is a picture of truth. Because your master is returning from the wedding feast, it's a parable of the whole thing. But but truth is light. And we've seen that already in uh, Ephesians, back in chapter 5, the, the chapter previous. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, meaning walk in the truth. A few verses later, take no part in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them using the light. For it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Wake up, O sleeper. He says, this word aletheia can simply mean reality, truth in the sense of what is. Light shows us reality. Satan is associated with darkness because in it he can sell us illusions. He can present alternate versions of reality that appeal to our flesh, to our old self, if we have not tightly enough girded ourselves with the belt of truth. First 1 John 1, we read, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. In John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We will see reality in a way that the world cannot if we bind ourselves with the truth. Pilate had every advantage, power, education, money, anything he could want, he, he was sitting there with Jesus in full daylight. It was mid-morning and the sun had not yet been darkened. He could see him, but he couldn't really see him. He didn't have the spiritual light enlightening him to show him reality. And so he had to rely on the culture around him, the lying voice within him, and be open to the devil's schemes. When we allow the culture, the world to set the value of things and shift them into most valuable to least valuable, we can all but guarantee, no, strike that, we can guarantee that it will come out backwards. In the book Influence, Robert Cialdini tells a story about the owner of a jewelry store who was having trouble moving a, a big bunch of merchandise. He overbought Uh, uh, this silver turquoise type stuff, you know, the kind of southwest looking uh, bracelets and rings and necklaces and things and couldn't seem to unload this overabundance. And so he he starts, you know, all the conventional sales tricks telling people, push this stuff, you know, really, really push it, get people's attention over to that case. He starts putting it in the central display case, but no no matter what he does, nothing works. So uh, on the way out, the owner of the jewelry store says, I, I'm just done with it. I don't care if I take a loss. And scribbles a note that says, put everything in this case times one half. Leaves on a sales conference and then comes back to find that everything has been sold. But instead of making it all half price, the salesperson who looked at that and said, oh, okay, everything times one half, got confused and made everything times two. Doubled the price of everything in the case, which made everyone walking in there go, ooh, I've got to have this. Now, if someone had had the light, the enlightenment, they all could see it. There was literal light. But if they had had the knowledge, the truth of the value of different types of precious metals and stones, they could have said, this is ridiculously overpriced. But instead, they just believed what they saw. This is valuable. More valuable than that. The truth means we look here for what is valuable. We find not the kind of ever-shifting table of currency versus currency versus whatever where it changes from day to day, but rather we find eternal truths and we're told what is most valuable and what is of little value to us as followers of Jesus. If it had the light and been enlightened, enlightened, their minds would not have been open to the idea that this jewelry was actually worth more than twice what it was worth. But the world continues to just listen to the enemy, falling into schemes to the point where it's like the the enemy doesn't have to try. This is the sort of thing that might be illustrated by that clown on YouTube spending $2 million on Pokemon cards. Oh, now they're worth that. Now people are like knifing each other for them and they don't even sell them at Target. Why? Because someone said they're worth this much. Forget common sense. Forget truth. Forget anything. We need to be rooted in the truth we need to be basking in the light walking in the light with our loins girded up the loins of our minds ready for battle because we have access to the infinite power of an omnipotent god and it is silly for us to walk around unarmed unarmored and unconnected to that power last night while i was going over my sermon i always stay up really late on saturday nights and at about midnight whole house went dark. I went outside, walked down to the corner, looked down toward Frandor. For the first time in the 15 years we've lived here, totally dark. Apparently some kind of transformer somewhere blew up and it took a couple hours for the power to come back on. And what's funny is I was just about to go over uh, reading this, this illustration that I had found about a woman in South Florida named Norina who in 2007 had her power restored Because it had gone out in a hurricane and she had been without power for some time. Now after the hurricane came, she got an insurance settlement and the repair work began. But when the money ran out, the contractor just left and left her in a lurch. The home was unfinished, no electricity, and she'd been living without power this whole time. And the astounding thing was that the hurricane was not Katrina, which had just recently happened, but rather Andrew which came in 1992. For 15 years, this woman had had no heat when the chill came into South Florida, which it does. No air conditioning when it became 98, 102 degrees in the summer. Not one hot shower that whole time with no money to finish repairs. All she had was a small gas lamp, a few battery-powered lights, and one working burner. That whole time, Her neighbors didn't seem to notice the absence of power until finally, acting on a tip, the mayor of Miami-Dade got involved. And in just a few hours, boom, hooked back up, ready to go. And when a reporter came and said, what are you going to do now? She said, I'm going to fill my bathtub up and have the first bubble bath in a decade and a half. She said, it's hard to describe having the electricity switch on. It's overwhelming. I think a lot of believers are walking around unconnected to the power, ungirded with the truth. The fact is that we do not have the, the same methods as the world, the same truth as the world, the same anything as the world, and yet we're living like the world. And even when you pick up a quote-unquote Christian book and start leafing through it, it often is like, here's some spiritual language around the solutions that the world offers to our problems. But just like with this woman, Norena, There's nothing wrong with you that means you cannot flip the switch and suddenly you are now connected to the Savior and operating in the power of the Lord, strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, having fastened on the belt of truth that you might stand firm on the evil day. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth that we have from you. We thank you that we are equipped now to, to face the powers of darkness in a way that the world simply is not, that we are now prepared for the enemy's schemes in a way that someone apart from Christ cannot be. Lord, we pray that we would not neglect to put on the belt of truth, to gird the loins of our minds and our hearts ready for action, ready for battle, that we would not loosen these things in response to the culture's pressure or the enemy's uh, alluring or anything that we find outside of your word, that, Lord, instead we would hold fast to the truth, walk in the light, and know then that when we resist the devil, he will flee from us. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.